with Pastor Alex being sick, he's not able to be here, especially since um, he can't even get any words out. Um, but it is, I know he misses it, and to help you know just how hard at work he's still been, I get the, the joy of doing what I've only done one other time so far, where Alex had finished this sermon. Alex, uh, it, I don't think anybody in here doubts how hard our pastor works when it comes to preparing to preach God's Word. And so what I get the joy of doing this morning is I kind of get to do a bit of a tag team thing here where I'm going off of the sermon that Alex wrote, and then I get to take it, and I got to study the passage on my own and kind of do my own additions to it. So you're almost getting two sermons in one, so I hope you had a hearty breakfast. Um, I'll I'll try to keep it uh, the same. But Alex has also been hard at work, and I know he'll be mad at me if I don't uh, remember to plug this, but we're also very excited for the series Alex is starting next Sunday, which is in uh, Preaching Through Proverbs going to be talking about wisdom for the new year. And uh, he's never, and I've never actually, we've never really preached through Proverbs before. It's one of those we read all the time, but preaching through Proverbs is pretty interesting. Um, It's an interesting book to try to get sermons out of in the way that we normally preach. And so if you want, if you ever wanted to gain more wisdom, the way Solomon did when he asked God for wisdom, what does that look like? What is wisdom like in the life of a Christian, and how can that help us grow God's kingdom as a church? Make sure you come next Sunday as we um, start that series, and uh, pray for Alex as he keeps preparing that. We're very excited for that series. But today, I think, um, I I can at least make this joke. He'll, He'll probably laugh at it. I'm sure Alex is listening. But this is the second time this sermon is supposed to be preached. This is actually out of order. We, uh, last week we did the passage that takes place after this, where we talk about, or Jesus talks about putting our yoke upon him, come and rest in Jesus. A couple weeks ago was the passage before this one, where Jesus was just calling out all of those unrepentant cities in a pretty like straightforward way, saying woe to these cities and calling them out. And then we get to this passage, and it's a fun one. And so maybe Alex was you know, just subconsciously not wanting to preach it. Who knows? But he wrote the note, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with it anyway. But this is about knowing God. And how do we really do that? As a, a middle school teacher, I've heard this question asked by kids who think they're trying to sound smart. But how do we really know anything, Mr. Massey? <laughs> right? And knowledge, especially when I teach students, and how we gain knowledge is an interesting concept, especially when I try to teach middle schoolers how to write papers and how they gain... I heard a few groans and uh, amens in that one, right? (laughs) Especially when they're trying to write papers and how do they make sure they know something. Right before Christmas break, I assigned a research paper to my middle school classes that I teach Bible to. And they were all asking me, okay, which I, I still find this hilarious, I assigned them a topic, and they said, well, how do we look this up? They all have their own computer, by the way, that is powered by Google. <laughs> and so I would tell them, well, Googling it is a good way to start. I said, but as I tell every student when they're doing a research paper and looking up, I said, you're going to find a lot of sources of information on the Internet, but there's one source in particular that you are not allowed to use as a primary source. Does anyone know what that website is? Wikipedia. You can't use Wikipedia as a primary source. Yes, I use Wikipedia a lot. That's always the first result that comes up. But when writing a scholarly paper, or whatever middle schoolers do, 
you can't use Wikipedia because it's known that it's quite possible for Wikipedia to carry false information. For instance, there was a story that happened um, in between 2021 and 2022 that I thought was pretty funny. For anyone at the time, maybe in college especially, that was wanting to look up information about Russian history, particularly Russian medieval history, and if they used Wikipedia, they might have found something completely false. Because the Chinese Wikipedia um, organization found that there was a man, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, um, an editor for the Chinese Wikipedia known as Zaymao, something like that, right? And that throughout the years 2021 and 2022 had created over 200 fake articles on the Chinese Wikipedia site about Russian medieval history, but instead of it being actually factual things, he put in a bunch of like fantasy stories mixed in with actual history, and just put it in there. So anyone that started to look it up, especially in China, was wanting to look up Russian medieval history, might think they're finding actual history on Wikipedia, but in fact, it's all completely false. Over 200 articles of it, completely wrong. But someone just randomly looking might say, oh, I now know Russian medieval history, and it sounds pretty interesting to me. But in reality, even though they think they know it, that's completely wrong. Well, what we're talking about today and in this passage is way more important than Russian history ever was. We're talking about knowing our God. And one of the biggest problems in our world today is that everybody thinks they know God and know what he's like, right? One of the worst things to come up with modern technology is, is TikTok. And sure, I'm sure that app can be used for good and entertainment, but it's now full of what we call TikTok theologians. And it's terrible. Of these, these people that just get on there and they think they know cool things about God because they had some cool thought. And they go on that app and that website and they just spit it out there. And tons of people, especially young people, will get on their phones and they'll look at it and say, oh, this person knows something about God. Well, let me listen to what they have to say. And more often than not, it can be completely false, but they think they know it. Just like the crowds and cities in Jesus' day, so many people think they know God. Those people thought they knew God. When God and yet, when God was literally in their midst doing great things, they didn't only, uh, not only didn't recognize Him, they considered Jesus a failure. See, from God's perspective, Jesus' ministry was a total success. But from man's perspective, Jesus' ministry was a failure. But that's because they didn't actually know God like they thought they did. And that should really give us pause as people today. For us to say, I, I think all of us in here would at least want to say, and if anybody, if we call ourselves Christians, if anybody were to ask us, do you know God, we would probably, our gut reaction would just be to say, yes. But a passage like this should really make us pause and ask ourselves, are we like the people in Jesus' time in these cities and these crowds who say they knew God but actually had it completely wrong? See, there's going to be a lot of people who at the end of time will stand before God and they walked so many years of their life and will have said, I know God but then they might get to the judgment seat of God and hear the words that no one wants to hear when Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. So here's the question that's on the screens. 
We need to know this, right? How can we truly know God and gain spiritual understanding? That's the question we really need to ask as followers of Jesus. How do we know God and gain spiritual understanding? We want those things, right? If you're a follower of Jesus, that should be the cry of your heart. As as a teacher, there's a reason I teach Bible more than anything else. All of those other things that we teach at Anderson Christian School are important. Even math, which I'm terrible at. All of those things are important, but none of them are as important as knowing the God who created us and loves us. But how do we know that we do that correctly? Well, let's look at the passage today. Let's look again at Matthew 11, starting in verse 25. And don't miss those three words. Always pay attention to the way the Bible is written. It says, at that time. I want to remind you, remember, we're preaching these out of order, so sorry about that, but what happened right before this, Jesus just got done giving that not-so-friendly-sounding woes to all of those cities where he's calling out all of these cities that refused to repent of their sins. This is right after that. He just finished that. Do you think a lot of the crowds and the Pharisees were happy with what Jesus had just said? No. Well, buckle up because they're going to get more unhappy because right after that, Jesus out loud says these words, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, uh, Father, for such was your gracious will. Now these verses tend to throw people for a loop because they just can't seem to fathom God being pleased by hiding understanding from people. Why would God do that? Why would he be pleased by this? Because that's what it says. For doing this was God's gracious will. Well, it's for this reason. And it's a fact about our God that we really need to understand and come to terms with. God does not give spiritual insight to people who think they don't need it because they're confident that they've already got it. See, it's, it's a pride issue. And I want to make sure we understand this is not a one-time thing that we see this. We see God actually keeping spiritual understanding from people who decide and think that they don't need it multiple times in Scripture. Do you remember when the, uh, Moses was sent to Pharaoh? What did God say of Pharaoh? He said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And the Bible also says Pharaoh hardened his heart because of pride. Pharaoh literally treated himself as a god and forced his people to worship him as a god. And God will look at someone whose heart is full of that much pride and will let that harden their heart. In fact, if you were to actually go to the book of Romans, chapter 1, there's three times in a very brief period where it says that God will give people up to live in the sins that they have chosen. In verse 24, it says God gave them up to the lust in their hearts. In verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. In verse 28, notice how this starts. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what not or what ought not to be done. See, the way God does, or the way He works is He looks at us, and if, if we are going to look at the Almighty Creator God and say, I don't need you, I've got all the understanding I need, then sometimes, maybe for a time, God looks at us and He will even hide the understanding from them. That's what was happening to the Pharisees that were here in the city. But let's be honest, it's not just the Pharisees in biblical times. We know some people like this, don't we? 
Hopefully it's not us. <laughs> but we know people like this. They have their minds made up on everything. They're set in their ways. They're stubborn. They're not open to reason. They're unwilling to consider someone else's point of view. They're unwilling to engage in meaningful conversation. They won't listen to what anyone else has to say. Sometimes they'll even grumble about things that God is doing if it goes against something that they think is right. <laughs> there was a, a kid that I ended up graduating from my school with at uh, News Christian Academy in Raleigh. He came partway through our high school career, and when he showed up, he quickly jumped into my friend group. Seemed like a wonderful Christian kid. In fact, he started coming to our youth group, and he was a musician as well, wonderful guitar player and a songwriter. And he and I would actually used to sit, and we would write Christian songs together. We would lead chapel worship band and praise God together. We would do outreach things with the school and the youth group. But also, this kid was incredibly smart, and he had to have the answers to everything. The problem is, he ended up thinking that he could find the answer to everything on his own. And eventually, the Bible wasn't enough for him. And this kid, who won the Christian Character Award our junior year of high school, is now an atheist, a Buddhist to be exact. Because he now believes that he can reach enlightenment on his own. God's not enough for him. And he says, I can gain all the spiritual understanding and knowledge on my own. And it, I, I believe that at this point, God has hidden that spiritual understanding from him. And I haven't kept up with him in the longest time. We just went our separate ways. But I pray for him that he would see the error in those ways and come back. But these are the kind of people that, from whom God hides Spiritual understanding. That's what it looks like to be wise and understanding in your own eyes. And that really describes the Pharisees to a T, though, doesn't it? I love Alex gave some examples that he pulled from other stories with the Pharisees. And look at how ridiculous they seem and how prideful they seem from some of these examples of Jesus' ministry. You remember when Jesus performed the great miracle of feeding the 5,000? That he literally multiplies loaves of fish. They keep coming and coming. He does this great miracle. And you would think the religious people would look at that and rejoice. But you know what they did? What they actually did was they said, well, this can't be from God because Jesus ate with the wrong group of people and he didn't wash his hands first. So must not be of God. Can't be a good thing. That miracle doesn't count. At one point, Jesus healed a man who had been an invalid for 38 years of his life and they say, well, this can't be from God because God would never do something like this on the Sabbath. Well, get ready, because the very next thing that Jesus does in the next sermon that we'll eventually get to in Matthew is he does another work on the Sabbath that they're going to get mad at, right? Here's my favorite one that Alex mentioned. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, rather than praising God and confessing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Pharisees say, we've got to do something about this guy or else people are going to start believing in him. Are you, are you kidding me? They see someone that commands the power over life and death, and instead of finally putting their pride aside and saying, you know what, maybe this is actually the Messiah, they say, hey, this doesn't match up what I know and what I think and what I believe, so it must be wrong. How foolish. And yet, those are the people who thought they knew God the best but they were actually blind to what God was doing all around them. 
See, these are the people that try to put God in a box and make up their minds about what God can and should do. And people like that, whether it's Pharisees or people today, will remain in the dark about who God is and what God is like until they admit their dependence on God and confess these words, the greatest words you can ever say to God. And if you ever just don't know what to say in a prayer, say these four words, God, I need you. You know, anyone who's a a parent can probably have some kind of example like this, but I think to one of our favorite parks that Daniel likes to go to is the Unity Park near downtown Greenville. Wonderful park for kids to go and play. And Daniel's been, he loves to climb the hills and whatever, and he loves to go to one section of the playground that has um, some parts that are made for older kids than Daniel is and his little three-year-old self, right? And there's one particular part that has this webbing of rope that you're supposed to climb up, and it's normally much bigger kids. Well, Daniel forgets that he's three. He just sees kids playing, and he wants to go climb it. And this, this particular instance I'm thinking of, he was actually still two. He was almost three. But we were there, and he wanted to climb like the big kids. And he was doing his best, and he wanted to climb it. And I'm like, all right, buddy, let me help you. And he says, no, 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 Daddy, I'll do it. And so he does his best, and he's trying to get his, his little foot up there and grab the things, and he's slipping through, and he's falling through the holes. And I'm making sure he's not going to fall, but he's getting you know, mad at me if I try to actually help him. So I let him try. And he keeps trying. He keeps slipping. He keeps failing. And so finally, he says the words every dad just waits to hear. <laughs> right? He turns and he says, Daddy, I need your help. And so I said, no, you said you got it. And I left him alone. No, I, <laughs> I helped him. But that was that moment where Daniel realized, I can't do this on my own. Daddy, I need your help. And Christian, that's the moment we all have to come to. If we want to be the kind of people that God will reveal himself to, we have to be willing to say, God, I need you. God doesn't give spiritual understanding to people until they come to the end of themselves and cry out to him and ask for help, just like little children. It's what he said is in the passage, that we are supposed to not be wise in our own eyes, but we are supposed to be like little children. Well, what is it about being little children that we're supposed to mimic? Jesus mentions this a bunch of times in his ministry, and it's actually this. We're going to fast forward to Matthew chapter 18, where a wonderful moment happens. It says, In calling to him a child, Jesus put him in the midst of them, and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You want to know what it takes to be the kind of person Jesus wants us to be? It's being as humble as a child. Not looking at ourselves like my friend unfortunately did in high school and saying, I'm a pretty smart person. I can figure all of this out on my own. No, it's being like a child climbing a a plague set that's way too big for him and saying, Daddy, I can't do it. I need your help. See, the kind of humility a child really has is what we should never get rid of when it comes to God. Even a kid who thinks that they can do whatever they want always has to come to the understanding that they can't. Daniel might get really hungry and might say, I want to feed myself, and I want him to feed himself at first, but what has to happen before he can feed himself? We have to provide him food. Even an older kid that can't drive yet might say, well, I can go hang out with my friends, 
but can they do that without their parents getting there, or at least some adult with a driver's license getting them there? In the old days, sure, you could run there, but nowadays, don't do that. The world's a scary place. Kids always come to the understanding at some point, I can't do this on my own. I am completely dependent on somebody else. And that's the kind of humility like a child that we are supposed to have. If we truly want to know God and gain spiritual understanding, we have to do this. We must stop looking inward and begin looking upward. We have to stop looking inward at what we can do, what we think we have figured out on our own, and start looking to the one who gave us all of the ability we have in the first place. You want to know why so many people are angry with God in our world? Why so many grumble against Him in His ways? It's because they can't see the beauty of God. They can't admire His wisdom or appreciate His works or fathom His love because they're spiritually blind because all they do is look inward at their own selves for the solution to all their problems. Because everywhere they look for help if they're struggling in the world tells them to look inward says, hey, just read this book that says here's 10 steps for a better you. You want to know what normally is one of the best-selling sections in a bookstore? The self-help section. I hate that section of a store because self-help is not going to be the ultimate help that we need. Sure, you can find some good things in there, but if you're trying to fill the hole in your heart that every single human has, self-help is not going to get you there. But it's not just worldly things that are leading us there. It's many churches today. There are so many churches today that are telling us that you should still look inward. It's something that we call moralistic or therapeutic moralistic deism. It's something that's being taught in so many churches today. We call it therapeutic because all of the sermons just make you feel good. You walk out of there, you can walk into some of these churches knowing I'm going to walk out of here feeling really good about myself today. That's therapeutic, right? That's why I watch a fun you know, blockbuster movie, not why I go to church. <laughs> it's moralistic because, you know what, it does teach you a moral. at least makes you or know how to be a better person at the end of the day. It tells you how to do good in your life. And it's deistic because what deism teaches is that God, sure, is a part of it. But what deism teaches is that God isn't active in your life. God is a God who created you. He backed off and said, okay, go do good, be good people. And he just watches from a distance. And those sermons, let me tell you, are way easier to preach than ones like this. It's not easy for me or Alex to get ready to write and then stand up here and tell you that God hides wisdom and understanding from some people. That's not an easy thing to say. A lot of pastors will skip over this sermon and say, well, that doesn't make sense. Let's not talk about that. (laughs) That sounds offensive. Well, hold up. Jesus is going to get more offensive to people in just a moment. (laughs) That's not what we're supposed to do. All of that points us to the inside. All that normally does is those sermons, those churches will tell you ultimately this. God loves you. You're a good person. You're not doing anything wrong. Just try to love God and be the best person you can be. Well, listen, that is a counterfeit gospel and is completely backwards. That puts you and me at the center of the gospel. And church, that ain't it. I'm really glad 
the idea of me being a good person is not the center of the gospel because all of us would be going to hell. If it was all about me or you being a good person, we would be hopeless. The Bible says no one is righteous, not even one. It's all about Jesus. We have to look away from ourselves and look to Christ. Look at what God said in Isaiah 45, 22. He says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. We have to humble ourselves like a child and make ourselves completely dependent on God. Nothing to do with us. It has to be with God because no self-help is going to change our ultimate problem, our hearts. Only God can do that. We have to be dependent on Him. And so as long as we continue to be wise and understanding in our own eyes and filled with pride, then we will never, um, or God will continue to be pleased to hide true spiritual understanding from us. So we must look inward, stop looking inward and begin looking upward. But when we talk about looking upward, we got to make sure we're looking in the right direction. Because looking upward, I want to make sure we're not just looking to a place. When it says look upward, we're looking to who is in that place. We're looking to a person that we're supposed to know. Look at how Matthew continues in verse 11, verse 27, or how Jesus continues. He says this, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Remember when I said that Jesus was going to say some more offensive things to the religious leaders? Remember who's standing here with Jesus as he's saying this. He just got done saying all of these cities are like cursed because they refuse to repent. And now he says these words to these Pharisees, these people who think they know everything there is to know about God. And Jesus says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. You want to know what this really comes down to? We cannot know God apart from God. Now that might sound obvious to you, but it's not obvious to our world. See, everyone wants to know God. Everyone wants to try to say that they know what God is like. The problem is way too many people remove the Bible from the equation. Even people today who call themselves Christians remove the Bible from the equation, way too many churches take the Bible out of the equation saying, we can still know what God is like. And they try to define God and what he's like, not based on God's own revelation of himself, but based on their own ideas of God. Even in places where we might think it isn't happening. Even in popular media. For instance, there's a particular Bible show out right now that's become increasingly popular over the, its past three seasons. And it claims to portray the biblical Jesus and his life as recorded in the Gospels. But in its most recent third season, after there's a moment that a lot of people have not realized is not biblical. There's a moment where Jesus in the show reads from the scroll and says that the prophecy has been fulfilled in their presence, which is found in the Bible in Luke 4. 
Well, then the religious leaders in the show respond to Jesus, and they're angry, and they say if Jesus does not renounce his words, they will have to follow the law of Moses. To which Jesus then says these words, I am the law of Moses. Now, to many people watching, and probably many people like myself who grew up in in church, the majority of people probably think that that's harmless. It even sounds biblical. It sure sounds like something Jesus would say, but here's the problem. It's not in the Bible. In fact, that's the only time it's ever written that Jesus said the words, I am the law of Moses, is found in the Book of Mormon, not the Bible. And so, so many people might think, oh, I learned a new thing about Jesus. I know something about God, that Jesus said, I am the law of Moses. Well, we can think that when, in fact, it didn't come from Scripture at all. Because don't let a show or a song or a band or a pastor tell you who God is if it isn't matching up to what the Bible says. And I know beyond the shadow of a doubt, I can say this for Alex, that if he or I were ever to tell you anything about God that does not match up to this word of this book, fire us immediately. Because we, don't, we aren't truth. God's word is truth. Amen? And there's no other source of knowing what God is like. There are plenty of people who claim to be Christians today that claim to know God and say things and do things in their life that they say God approves of when his word says completely otherwise. There are people that say that they can, they can just go and let profanity spew from their mouths all they want because God told them in their own revelation that that was fine when God's word says completely otherwise. There are people that say, well, I can go get drunk as much as I want because God revealed to me that that's okay when God's word says completely otherwise. There are people that call themselves Christians that try to claim that God has revealed to them that homosexuality, transgenderism, and abortion is completely fine when God's word says completely otherwise. You want to know just how far this rabbit hole has gone? Well, in this past, I think it was just this month or last month, the Pope of the Catholic Church has announced that it is now sanctioned that the Catholic Church priests will bless homosexual marriages. And if the Pope says it, then it must be true. Well, is that what God's word says? No. I don't care what a Pope says. The Pope is a man. There's only one person who I trust, and that's God. Amen? And so all of these people might think they know God because they form this view of God from their own understanding, but it only is true. It's only about God if we are getting it from God Himself. We cannot truly know Him apart from Him revealing Himself to us. So how does that happen? Well, it happens like this. In order to know God and gain spiritual understanding, we must know Jesus personally. Jesus says that the only ones who will truly know the Father are the ones who know the Son and the one who the Son chooses to reveal Him through. It's only if we know Jesus. Do you want to know how God feels about a certain thing? Go read the words of Jesus. 
Do you want to know how God feels about sin? Go read the words of Jesus. Do you want to know how God feels about treating our neighbors? Go read the word of Jesus. Have a personal relationship with Jesus. There is no substitute for this. You can go online and look up whatever article about Jesus you want or about God that you want. And I encourage you to. I encourage you to find good websites and good books about God and read them, sure. But they're not the ultimate source. Go back and scroll through Facebook and find all those, you know, if you don't share this post, you don't love God things and read those and you can like them and share them all you want. But none of those are going to lead you to the understanding of God that having a relationship with Jesus will do. Because without Jesus, we can know some things about God, but we won't truly know God. There's a big difference. I know a lot about some of my favorite authors, plenty of my favorite um, music artists. I know a lot about them, but I don't know them. And the only way for us to truly know God is through Jesus. And I don't want us to miss the gravity of this, though. It's, it's a good thing. There's been a lot of hard sayings in this, this sermon, but I want you to hear the goodness of this as we end this year. Do you realize that the God who existed perfectly in eternity past, who had need of nothing, was already perfectly worshipped in heaven did not need humanity, did not need the universe, but he chose to create it. And then he lovingly crafted you and me, breathed life into us, made us in his image. He is the perfect, all-powerful, all-knowing God, and he wants to know you. Our little selves. We're here for you. We're here for Less, probably less than a hundred years, and then we're God, or gone. And then this eternal, all-powerful God looks at us and says, "I want to know you." Church, there is nothing greater and nothing more exciting than knowing that our God wants to know us, and we can know Him. And the only way to do that is through Jesus. No, we will never, like my, my friend wants to reach enlightenment and somehow come to full understanding and the, the, the great sin of pride that's been there from the beginning. He basically wants to become the God of his life. No, we won't do that. We'll never fully understand everything about God, and that's a good thing because he wouldn't be worth worshiping if I could understand everything about who this being is. And yet, I can have a relationship with him. See, it's easy for me to have a relationship with you. You're like me. <laughs> but God wants one with you. He wants one with me. And yes, if we set a wall of pride up in our lives, he is pleased to hide understanding. But listen, he doesn't want to. He wants to share wisdom and spiritual understanding and who he is with you today. Don't keep that from happening. Don't let your pride get in the way. Don't let what you think about God get in the way of what God is actually like. 
And so as we go into the closing, as we are about to go into a time of invitation here this morning, I want that to be the cry of our hearts. Is there something about God that we've claimed to know for the longest time that we've thought is true, but maybe we've realized it doesn't actually come from this, it just comes from our minds, or it comes from tradition, or it comes from some other source. And it's not actually what God is saying and revealing about Himself. Ask forgiveness for that. Don't leave that wall of pride up in your life. Let God destroy it. Let Him break it down so that He can share that understanding with you. If you need to humble yourself like a child, like all of us need to remind ourselves to do every single day, may we do that today. And if you are in here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, let today be that day. Because I can tell you, He's not hiding that from you right now because you're here. You're hearing these words. Whether you're here physically or you're listening or watching this on a screen, He's reaching out to you today. And He wants that relationship with you. He doesn't want to keep you in the dark. He wants to shine His light of His salvation on you. Accept that today. Let's pray together.